The following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. All right, if you would find in your Bibles the Gospel of John this morning, chapter 1. You know, this, uh, this song I just played is called Ancient of Days. What does that term mean? Ancient of days. Yeah, he's eternal. Uh, there's never been a time when Jesus, Jesus hasn't been. He, he's uh, eternal. He's from everlasting to everlasting. He is uh, self-existent. He's God. Jesus is God. And that is a... a a vital, critical tenet of the Christian faith, that Jesus Christ is not just a good prophet or a good teacher or a good person. In fact, if you look at his teaching, if he's not God, then he was none of those things. He was not a good prophet. He was not a good teacher. Because if you teach that you are the, the, the flesh, uh, you're, you're the flesh God in, in person and you are uh, deity then that makes you a false teacher unless you are who you say you are. Right? So, so you, can't, you can't look at Jesus and say, well, he was just a good man, a good teacher. No, no. He's God. And, and there's no other way around that. Uh, if you read the Bible, you'll, you'll see that. And so this, this song just made such an impact on me because of the story it tells. Uh, nations rage. The dread of night causes unrest in my soul but then the, the third verse uh, when I when, when I stand face to face it's, it's all going to be okay and all those things that troubled me so much are, are going to be in the past and, and so we look to Jesus the ancient of days you know I thought about this passage that we're studying this morning and uh, it, it caused me to ask a question what does it take and this may be practical um, in its application, but what does it take for someone to recognize authority? Just in general. What does it take to recognize authority? Now this question gets more and more difficult to answer with every passing generation. Uh, there was a time when authority was respected and admired I remember as a child, uh, in school, we would be often asked, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you know what? Without exception, almost every boy in my class, you know what we'd say? Policeman. Fireman. I want to be a soldier. I want to be in the army. You know? Those things were revered, respected, admired. And they were seen as noble professions because of their standing in society. But today it's a different story. Those who serve in these areas, especially law enforcement, are constantly maligned and scrutinized, uh, rarely respected or appreciated for the job they do. And it seems to be, just from my observation, there seems to be an entire generation of young people who just have no respect for authority 
of, of any kind. And, and you know what? I'm going I'm to tell you a secret about that. Do you know why young people increasingly have no respect for authority? It begins at home. And then it overflows from home into the schools and into the city streets. So, so before we point a finger here, there, or yonder, let's, let's just own this and say the reason why children, young people, teenagers don't respect authority is because mom and daddy hadn't uh, instilled that respect for authority at home. And when they walk out the door, they just act the same way they do at home. The same way they treat mom and dad is the same way they treat their teachers. It's the same way they treat uh, law enforcement. It's the same way they treat anyone at all who would exert authority. So when you see that in the world, don't miss the true source of that rebellion. It's because in large part, we haven't done a good job in, uh, you know, and, and I, I just, I hate to say, this isn't even part, I didn't have this written down, but my first responsibility as a father is not to be my child's friend. My first responsibility is to instill the nurture and the discipline and the instruction of God into their hearts and lives. And that's, that's what we, we try to do. We, we, you know, I want to be, I mean, I want my kids to like me. I want them to love me. But first and foremost... I have a responsibility before God Almighty to make sure that they respect authority and they understand the position in the family. We've been given a responsibility to, to train and to bring up. And, and you see the result when that's not done well. You see it everywhere. When you look, look at the news, that, that's what's happening. Okay? So, unfortunately maybe contrary to popular belief, when we read this scripture and we understand uh, how things are today, maybe we try to compare, things weren't that different in Jesus' day. In fact, because there are people involved and there's sin in people's hearts, I would say they may not be different at all, just expressed differently. But the same heart is at work in Jesus' day as it is today. Jesus came to earth and He entered into our struggle against sin when He didn't have any sin of His own. But He willingly took on flesh. He came in order to give us an example to follow, to accomplish the plan of redemption which had been in place since before time had begun. Yet many who encountered Jesus the Messiah during His earthly ministry, they refused to recognize His identity nor His authority. And Jesus, you rem I mean, we, we're all pretty familiar, even if it's on a basic level, we're familiar with what Jesus did when He was on earth. He performed miracle after miracle. He taught with a level of authority never seen among men. He was the embodiment of truth and love, and yet He got killed for His efforts. Now, granted, that was all part of the plan of redemption. He came to die. So how can this trend be reversed of the 
rejection of authority. How can, is it possible? Is it possible for us to see Jesus for who He truly is and then live our lives in a way that reflects that? I believe the text today will point us in the right direction. So I'm going to read from John's Gospel beginning verse 19. I'm going to go down to verse 34 and then we're going to talk about two things in particular that I believe will be seen here clearly about John the Baptist and his testimony. Here's what the Bible says. John, uh, John is writing about John, two different people. And here's what the Holy Spirit has inspired him to write for us today. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you so that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. And they asked him and said to him, Why then are you baptizing if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them saying, I, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. And these things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. And John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray today that you will speak clearly to our hearts for the glory of Christ. Amen. John the Baptist was an interesting character. And without going into too much detail about him as a, as a person, as a ministry, we know some things about him from what the Bible tells us, that he uh, was out in the wilderness, he wore... Uh, animal skins, he ate wild locusts and honey. I mean, he, he, was, he was out secluded, okay? When you think about, all right, maybe you think this of, maybe some people could say this about themselves. I live out in the country. Well, let me just tell you, wherever you live out in the country, John was way, way beyond that. He was far out away from everyone and everything, okay? He was out there. Now, the reason he was out there was to prepare. Now John prepared his whole life growing up 
for a ministry that lasted only about six months. Isn't that interesting? He devoted his life to a six-month ministry that he was called to by God. So this passage that we've just read is the testimony that John gives concerning Jesus. So there's two things that I believe we can apply and, and put into our, our lives so that we can live more how Jesus would call us to live, but it all hinges on our relationship to Jesus. Okay, so let me just kind of go through these. There's only two, two things here. The first one is this. Prepare the way for Christ. That's what John the Baptist did. Now, what are... Uh, now, you can call yourself... No, we're not baptizing. Well, I am. But we could, we could say, all right, well, I'm John the Baptist, or I'm uh, Eric the Baptist, or I'm Daniel the Baptist, You know, because we're in a Baptist church, right? So we're, we're the Baptist, right? So what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to prepare the way for Christ? Is there something we can do? Are there practical steps we can take to do that? So let's look at what John did. From verse 19 down to verse 28, that first section there, here's the setting. There were priests and Levites sent from Jerusalem by the Jews, and they were trying to determine John's identity, his true identity. Okay, And that's important because John made no secret of the fact that he was not the Messiah. He wanted to make very clear... I am not the Messiah. Okay? So every question that he was asked, he told them no. But look at the questions, and this is going to lead us to the motive. So look at the questions that he was asked. They asked about specific people. Are you the Messiah, first of all? Then they said, are you Elijah? Okay? Now, and by the way, if you're taking notes, you might want to jot this down. Matthew chapter 11, verse 14. Matthew eleven fourteen. Because in that passage, you will see Jesus himself say, John the Baptist is Elijah. Okay, that's going to be important here in a minute. So he served as Elijah. Okay, then they asked him, are you the prophet? And he said no to all these things. So then they said, all right, well, who are you? Because uh, we have to tell the Jews something because they sent us out here to find out and we can't go back empty-handed, so to speak. So help us out here. Give us an answer so we can relay it back to those in Jerusalem. Now, St. Augustine, back in the early church, he wrote that they knew Elijah would precede the Messiah. Right? For the name of Christ was not unknown to any Jew. They did not think that he was the Christ, but they did not think that Christ would not come at all. So when they were hoping that he would come, they were offended at him when he did come. And they stumbled at him as on a low stone. They did not see the lowly stone, but what great blindness not to see the mountain. He was right in front of them. They didn't recognize him. So the expectation when those from Jerusalem came out to see what was happening was, oh no. Could this be this one that's been prophesied? Could this be the Messiah? Or could this be Elijah which signals the coming of the Messiah? Or could this be the prophet that signals the coming of Elijah which signals the coming of the Messiah? In other words, are we in trouble? Is something about to change? Okay, so they're trying to find out. Now what does John do? John quotes in verse 23... 
Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3. Because he says there at the end of verse 23, as Isaiah the prophet said. But that's where you find that. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. He's, and here's what that text actually says. A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Now, here's something interesting that happens in verse 24. We're not positive, but the first verse, 19, talks about priests and Levites. Then verse 24 talks about Pharisees. It says, now they had been sent from the Pharisees. So there's no, uh, I guess, consensus that says these were all Pharisees or there were priests and Levites and Pharisees or the priests and Levites were sent from the Pharisees. But here's the point behind that, why that's a big deal. Who were the Pharisees? They were religious leaders, right? And what did they think about themselves? They thought, they thought they were something special, boy. They, they loved to walk around with their little robes on with all their decoration, and they loved to kind of... Their, their posture looked like something like this. They, like their head was tilted back. You know why? That way they could look down their nose at people. So that's what they like to do. They like to look down on people like this, and they, they like to be the ones that say, you know what, I know what you need to do. Now, I'm not going to do it myself, but this is what you need to do. So the Pharisees were real good at being holier than thou and really telling people what re uh, religious regulations they needed to keep up while they themselves wouldn't do any of it. Okay? So that's the kind of attitude we're talking about. But here's the thing. The Pharisees were in positions of authority, relig religiously speaking. So, do you understand why they are so concerned about finding out John's identity? Because if he is one of these people, the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet, that means that the authority of the Pharisees is now threatened. And actually not just threatened, but overthrown. Because if the Messiah shows up, then the Pharisees are second fiddle, right? And they're used to being high. They used to be in top dog, so to speak. So they didn't want anything to threaten their position and authority. So they say to John, after this little interchange here, they, they want to they wanna find out why he thinks he has the authority to baptize. So if you look at verse 25, after the name of the Pharisees is mentioned... The Bible says, they asked him and said, why then are you baptizing if you are not the Christ or Elijah or the prophet? In other words, you don't have the authority to do this. We're the ones that get to say what happens here. And, and who are you? If you're not one of these people, then what authority do you have? So John responds, by doing his job. See, uh, this whole situation of authority being challenged and who is John really and what right does he have to do these things. See, one of the things that characterized the baptism of John the Baptist is he did it himself. He himself personally administered the baptism. D.A. Carson says that it might even be that the authority implicit in such an innovative practice triggered the assumption in the minds of at least some of the Pharisees that John's baptism was an end times practice that was being administered by an end times figure 
that had great authority. So they were, they were concerned. They were worried. Okay? But they, they weren't worried for any other reason than they were just selfish. They enjoyed their authority and their position. They wanted to hang on to it. Okay? So what does John do? Here is where we get our personal application. In verse 26, John answered them, and he says, I baptize in water, but now I want you to pay close attention to this next sentence. Among you stands one whom you do not know. Jesus wasn't coming. He was already there. See, the Messiah was on the scene. He had already arrived. This was this, this, in the timeline. You think we're talking about Christmas, we're thinking about celebrating the birth of Christ, but this right here, Jesus is already growing up. Okay? He's already on the scene. He's already ready to begin his earthly ministry. So John says, He's here. You don't know him, but he's here. So what is, what's all this that you're worried about with me, who I am? You don't need to worry about who I am. But you really need to worry about who He is. That's the job of the Christian. Divert the attention. Shift the focus. It's never about the messenger. It's always about the message. It's always about Jesus Christ. So here's our personal application. As a Christian, how can I prepare the way for Christ? There's one standing among you you don't know. Let me tell you about it. Right, that's the job of a Christian. We have the gospel. We have the, the knowledge of who Jesus is. John says, the one coming after me, he is the Messiah. And I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. You want to talk about how humble and lowly John makes himself and shows himself to be in relationship to Jesus. And by the way, isn't that the job of the Christian? Hey, you don't need to know who I am. You don't need to know anything i got to say other than the fact you need to know Jesus and what He says. You, you need to hear the Gospel. Let me introduce you to Jesus. You don't need, if you forget about me and never remember me the rest of your life, that's great. But you need to know Jesus and I can show you who He is. Let's open the Bible. Let me tell you about what He's done in my life. I can tell you, I can point you, I can introduce you to Jesus. That's the job of the Christian. Prepare the way for Christ. Now here at the end of this section, verse 28, is the most odd thing. And I read this a few times and I said, okay, that tells you where they are, but why, why is that even a big deal? Why is that verse in there? Verse 28. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. Well, okay, nice little detail. Why is that significant? Let me take you back to last Sunday. Remember what we studied last Sunday morning? Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Isaiah prophesied, Those walking in darkness have seen a great light. Those who live in a land uh, that is dark, a great light has shone upon them. Right? That's the prophecy of the coming Messiah. Well, guess what Isaiah said that was verse 2, by the way. Guess what Isaiah said in verse 1 from last Sunday? Let me read it to you. There will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt, but later on he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. 
Well, guess what? These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptized. Do you see what's happening here? What Isaiah prophesied 700 years before Jesus even was born, John is now testifying that he was baptizing in the very place where the Bible predicts that Jesus is going to show up. It's not a coincidence, y'all. It's not a coincidence. Colin Cruz, who's a commentator, he wrote that uh, efforts to locate a Bethany on the east side of the Jordan, closer to Jericho, had previously proven unsuccessful. But in more recent times, archaeological work has located what appears to be the site of Bethany on the other side of the Jordan, located east of the Jordan River, about seven miles north of the Dead Sea, right where this See, people can try and try and try to disprove or ignore what God says. It's all in vain. Because one thing that we can take to our graves and know we will never, ever be proven wrong is that this word is true. It's all true. People may not understand it. They may take it out of context. They may choose to just ignore it or disbelieve it. But it doesn't mean it's not true. Beyond the Jordan, on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. His name is Jesus. And we are to prepare the way for the Messiah. Number two, verse 29. Testify. To the person of Christ. Don't just prepare the way. Testify to the person of Christ. What did John say? John the Baptist said in verse 29, The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now why is this such a big deal that he would say the Lamb of God? Let's go back to last week again. Do you remember when Isaiah's prophecy alluded back to the exodus with Moses and delivering the people out of Egypt in in bondage. And you remember God sent the plagues to demonstrate His power, to show Pharaoh, this this is going to happen. You're just delaying the inevitable. You should let my people go. And so do you remember the last thing they did? The night before they left, they celebrated the Passover. They put the blood of the Lamb on the doorpost. So when the angel of death came through, he would recognize the blood of the Lamb And the people of God would be delivered. Again, not a coincidence. Because John looks at Jesus and he says, There He is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God who delivers God's people. That's who He is. And then he clarifies some things. So look at the text. He he clarifies, verse 30, This is the one. This is He on behalf of whom I said... After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. Now, where do we see that? Verse 15, this is before our text, but if you've got your Bible open, just look back, John 1.15. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. This is who Jesus is. And the first part of John's Gospel explains that in greater detail. So he's clarifying what he means and who he's talking about and why he says the things he says. But then look at verse 31. 
I didn't recognize him. And what he's saying there is, I, I didn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah. I didn't recognize this is the one. And, and go all the way back. Do you remember when Elizabeth was pregnant and Mary was pregnant? And the angel said, the one, your cousin, she's already in her sixth month. That was John the Baptist's mama. And then Mary's, Mary and Elizabeth got together. Do you remember what happened when, they, when, they, when Mary walked up? The baby in the womb, John the Baptist, leapt in the womb because Mary showed up with Jesus. So, so think about what's going on here. Uh, and, and I saw this on uh, social media this, this week or, or last week. Uh, isn't it interesting all the talk about abortion and yet a baby in the womb was the first one to recognize the Messiah? God has a way of doing things. John says, I didn't recognize him as the Messiah. But I was sent to do a job so that the Messiah would be manifested to Israel. So, what's his job? I need to show everybody who Jesus is. Now, so let me ask you a question. What's the job of the Christian? I need to show everybody who Jesus is, right? Ironic, isn't it? That's our job. So we can learn a lot from the life of John the Baptist because we're supposed to prepare the way for Christ and we're supposed to testify to the person of Christ. We're supposed to explain, this is who Jesus is. Look at His Word. Look at what He's done in my life. Look at what He wants to do in your life. This is who Jesus is. I'm preparing the way for Him for Him to meet you and for you to meet Him. And I'm going to testify. You know what testify means? It's where we get our word witness. When we, and they're related, not the same word, but they're related because what does a witness do? They get up on the witness stand and they testify, right? They tell. They tell the truth about whatever the subject is. So our subject is Jesus, so we're going to get up and testify about the truth of Jesus. It's our job. So John says, even though I didn't recognize him as the Messiah at the time, I came baptizing to prepare the way. And then he explains the confirmation of the Holy Spirit. He says, he testified, saying, I've seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. And then he clarifies, well, why is that important? Verse 33. Well, I didn't recognize him at the time, but the one who sent me, God said, whoever you see the one, the Spirit descending and remaining, that's the one. So that's why verse 32 is so important. Because he said, I saw Jesus, and I saw exactly what God told me I was looking for. I saw the Spirit descend and remain on him. So I knew that was him. That's the one. And that happened when John baptized Jesus. You remember? And let me tell you a little side note there, a little detail. Did you know that the entire Trinity of God was present at the baptism of Jesus when John the Baptist recognized Him and showed Him to people for the first time? Because Jesus, the Son of God, was there. The Holy Spirit descended like a dove. He was there. God the Father spoke from heaven, This is my Son. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all at one place at one time, manifesting Himself to all who were there. I'm telling you, folks, 
I mean, people tell me all the time, well, I just don't understand the Bible. I just can't. It's too confusing. I just can't. It's not that confusing. Just, did you know if you open the Bible and read it, a, a, a funny thing will happen. The Holy Spirit of God will open up your mind and your heart and you read the Bible and He will explain it to you. You will understand. We were never meant to try to understand God's Word all by ourselves. Our brains can't handle that. But the Holy Spirit is our teacher. Jesus said He will guide you into all truth. What do you think that means? It means read the Bible. And He'll explain it to you. Just read the Bible. I don't believe God is really a, a trinity. Really? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I mean, it's just, it's right there. It, yeah, I mean, it's, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. We just have to be willing to open it and read it. So John explains the confirmation about the Holy Spirit of God. God gave John the criteria. Now I want you to see another confirmation here that this is, this is given before John baptized Jesus. It happened when John recognized Jesus. It was confirmed later when Paul wrote to the Corinthian church that we talked about a few Wednesday nights ago. Here's what happened. Verse 33, The one who sent me to baptize in water said, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who does what? Baptizes in the Holy Spirit. Right? Isn't that what John said? I'm not the Messiah, but one's coming after me who is greater than I am, and he's going to, I baptize you with water, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Right? Well, guess what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13? We have all been baptized in one spirit by Christ into his church. You can look it up, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. It's another confirmation of God's word being consistent with itself. So if we're preparing the way for Christ and we are testifying to the person of Christ, I want us to really... Zero in here on the last verse of our passage. Verse 34. Because this is important. John the Baptist makes one final declaration. He says, I have seen. This is, this is exactly what every one of us who is following Jesus, this is what, this is what we're supposed to do right here. Okay, He says, I have seen and I have testified this is the Son of God. Now, why is that important? Well, I'm going to give you your, your weekly dose of uh, seemingly unimportant Greek grammar. The two verbs in that verse 34, I have seen and I have testified, are in the perfect tense. Well, the perfect tense signifies a, an action that was completed in the past but has a result that is indefinite. That means John has seen the Son of God happen in the past, but the result, the consequence of him seeing the Son of God, it goes on and on and on. It, it has changed his life. And the result of that never ends. And I have testified. 
So that means he has testified in the past that Jesus is the Son of God. He is testifying right here that Jesus is the Son of God. But the result of his testimony that Jesus is the Son of God has gone on and on and on and never ends. You know how I know that? That was the first century. Today is Sunday, December the 12th in the year 2021. Guess who we're talking about today? Jesus is the Son of God. And I've seen and I've testified that Jesus is the Son of God. And the, the, the ramifications of that testimony by a Christian has results that go on and on and on and reach more people than we will ever realize. How many times have, have you ever spoken to someone about Jesus and then they spoke to someone about what you told them about Jesus and then that person spoke to someone else about what they were told about Jesus who you told the person before them about Jesus and on and on and on. And next thing you know, because you were obedient and you testified about Christ, somebody you don't even know has come to know the Lord and is going to heaven because you told one person. Now, what do you suppose would happen if we all just testified to the person of Christ? Tell somebody about Jesus. Has, has He made a difference? Has He changed your life? Are you different now than you were? Are you forgiven? Are you going to heaven where you weren't before? Has any of this made an impact in who you are? Are we embarrassed? Are we ashamed of Jesus? Do, do we, are we so concerned about what someone else might think about us? I mean, does, does another person's opinion really matter that much? That we would not tell them about Jesus? Well, what would you do if you discovered the cure for cancer? Would you share that? Or would you just keep it to yourself because, you know, somebody might get offended? I imagine you'd probably run as fast as you could, tell as many people as you could, right? Do you understand how much more infinitely important this is than the cure for cancer? Because if you don't know Jesus, we said it last week, last Wednesday, last Sunday, maybe the Sunday before that, you can be healed physically. And if you don't have Jesus, you're going to go straight to hell. Maybe physically as healthy as can be. Spiritually dead. Is that, is that really what we want to do with the truth we've been given? We've been entrusted entrusted with the truth of the gospel of Jesus. We've been given the solution, the only solution 
to sin and death. The, the healing of forgiveness and eternal life. And we're really going to keep it to ourselves? See, from the very beginning, Jesus has given us abundant evidence and testimony about the fact that He's God in the flesh. Just, I mean, just in John's Gospel, He says it outright. In John chapter 5 and verse 39, He says, You search the Scriptures because you believe in them you have eternal life, and it's them that testify about Me. He's talking to the Pharisees. In John 10, in verse 30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. In John 8, in verse 58, He says, Before Abraham was born, I am. In John chapter 14 and verse 9, He says, If you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. He, he says it over and over. But you know, before Jesus ever took on human form, the Bible still speaks about His eternal nature. And there, there's plenty of places to look, but one that's appropriate for today. In Daniel chapter 7, in that one chapter, verse 9, verse 13, verse 22, those three verses in Daniel 7 are the only three places in the whole Bible where the term ancient of days is used. Verse 9 is talking about God the Father. Verse 22 is talking about Jesus. But it uses the same term for both. You know what that means? That just reminded me of Forrest Gump line. <laughs> you ever make yourself laugh sometimes? Remember at the end, I'm not a smart man, but I know what love is. <laughs> I'm not a smart man, but I know truth when I see it. Daniel 7, verse 9, the Ancient of Days, God the Father. Daniel 7, verse 22, the Ancient of Days is Jesus Christ the Messiah. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. He is God wrapped in flesh. He is the Lord of all creation. He was, He is, and He will always be. So what do we do with that? We prepare the way and we testify. We testify about Jesus. And not just a baby who was born in crude circumstances in Bethlehem. But the strong, mighty lion of the tribe of Judah. The conquering king. The one who's coming again to reign and to judge and to reward. That's who we testify about. Jesus, the Ancient of Days. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org. 